And we thank the Lord for, blessing, for the blessing of coming back to this great book of Numbers. And tonight we plan to finish in Numbers chapters 26 to 36. Chapters 26 to 36. This is another powerful section of the Word of God. In the Scriptures, the Lord commands the believer to remember what the Lord will do in the future. And this to encourage the believer to live in obedience in the present. But the Lord also commands the believer to remember what the Lord did in the past, to encourage the believer to live in obedience in the present. This is exactly the general focus of Numbers chapters 26 to 36. It teaches believers to remember what the Lord has done in the past, to encourage them to live obedient or spiritually refined lives in the present. Remember that here in the book of Numbers, the Lord was refining spiritually or purifying Israel throughout this book. But in these last chapters, 26 to 36, the Lord focused on refining the second generation of the Exodus. Remember that the second generation were the children of those Israelites who had died in the last 40 years. Here we are at about 1405 B.C. And according to Numbers 22.1 in chapters 26 to 36, Israel is camping on the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan opposite Jericho. And here in Numbers chapters 26 to 36, we find seven memories of Israel that help us to cultivate refining memories. Seven memories of Israel that help us to cultivate refining memories. That is, truths of the Word of God. It help, they help us to remember truths about the Word of God that help us in our sanctification. Truths about Scripture that help us to be more obedient, to deal with our sin on a daily basis. And here's the first one in chapter 26. Memories of judgment. Memories of judgment. Look at Numbers 26, verse 1. Then it happened after the plague. This phrase refers to the judgment of chapter 25. When the Israelites sinned with the Moabites, after that judgment, verse 1, then it happened after the plague that Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saying, verse 2, Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel from 20 years old and upward by their father's households, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel. Now remember, this, exit, this census of chapter 26 was done about 40 years after the census of chapter 1. And as we compare the amounts, the total amounts of Numbers 1 and here Numbers 26, Compared to the census of Numbers 1, the census of Numbers 26 shows 1,820 men less. 1,820 men less, equivalent to 0.3% less. Why? Why were there less men? Because the Lord killed them due to their sin. And look at how the Lord refined the second generation by reminding them here in Numbers chapter 26 of five deadly judgments, they should have encouraged them to be obedient, to take obedience seriously, 
to stay away from sin. The first one of these five deadly judgments that we find here in Numbers 26, we already saw it in verse 1 with Moab. Go down to verse 10. In Numbers 26, 10, we find the second of five deadly judgments. Numbers 26, 10. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up along with Korah. When that congregation died, when the fire consumed 250 men, so that they became a warning. Remember that took place back there in Numbers chapter 16. We go down to verse 19, third judgment of five. Verse 19. The sons of Judah were Er and Onan. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan, referring back to Genesis. Go down to verse 61. Fourth judgment of five. Verse 61. But Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange or illegitimate or forbidden fire before Yahweh. Back in Leviticus 10. And go down to verse 64. Fifth and last judgment here. Here's the largest one from Numbers 14, remember? Here in Numbers 26, 64. But among these, there was not a man. That is, among these who were counted there in Numbers 26... Among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest, who numbered the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai, back in Numbers 1, verse 65. For Yahweh had said of them, in Numbers 14, they shall surely die in the wilderness. And not a man was left of them, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. This is serious. These reminders of judgment should have motivated this second generation to be faithful to the Lord. Why? Because these judgments in chapter 26 reminded them that the Lord had refined Israel by killing all these people because of their sin. But the fact that they were counting all these men also shows the faithfulness of the Lord. Do you know why? Because in spite of so much sin and so much judgment, the Lord kept alive all these men of whom he said 40 years before that he would keep alive in Numbers 14. Just as 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us, remember how the Lord judged Israel's sin in the past to help you to avoid sin in the present. Remember how the Lord judged Israel's sin in the past to help you to avoid sin in the present. Look at chapter 27, number two in our outline. Here we have memories of compassion. Memories of compassion. Here, the five daughters of a man named Selophehad had a question for Moses. Apparently, their father died along with the first generation because of unbelief. This was a question of these five sisters. Verse 4, Numbers 27, 4. They asked, these five ladies, they asked Moses, Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. Now, back then, this was serious. As one commentator explains, If, her, if their father's name disappeared... They could have been seen along with the rest of their descendants as a sign of God's judgment 
And the Israelite society could have turned its back on them. Notice how in verse 5, Moses responded to this request. In verse 5, so Moses brought their case near before Yahweh. Verse 6, that is, he brought it to the Lord in prayer. Verse 6, then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying in verse 7, the daughters of Zelophehad are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a possession for an inheritance among their father's brothers. And you shall have the inheritance of their father pass on to them. Further, verse 8, you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall have his inheritance pass on to his daughter. This was very, very important. Because here the Lord placed, listen to this, the Lord here placed the land ownership rights on the same level for a man or a woman. Here you have a great example of our Lord's compassion towards women in need, in particular the daughters of Zelophehad, and towards the Israelite women in situations like this, women who were in a vulnerable situation. And Moses reflected here that same compassion of the Lord towards them by taking seriously the request of these five sisters this reflects something of James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion before our Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And here are some applications for the men. Do you want to evaluate your spiritual life? How do you treat women, especially needy, vulnerable women? If you reflect the Lord... You will not see women as a means to satisfy your selfish desires, but rather you will see them as a gracious gift from God, which you must treat with honor and compassion, starting with your wife, your daughters, your mother, your sisters in Christ, and every woman who needs the Lord. What a test for us, a test of true spirituality as men. And if you are a single man and the Lord has not given you the gift of singleness, and you are at a stage in life when you could get married. You have a great opportunity to show compassion towards a single sister in Christ. You say, how? By offering to buy her some coffee. <laughs> yeah. She might return the act of compassion by showing compassion to you by saying, yes, that would be nice. <laughs> and you might find out that you help each other to honor the Lord and you like each other. And maybe you could end up showing some mutual compassion by marrying each other. <laughs> but look at another important truth at the end of chapter 27. Verses 13 and 14. The Lord told Moses that he would die because of his sin in Numbers 20. And the Lord commanded Moses to name Joshua as his replacement. So verse 22 Numbers 27, 22. So Moses did just as Yahweh commanded him. And he took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. Verse 23. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him. Just as Yahweh had spoken by the hand of Moses. The laying on of hands was something symbolic that demonstrated solidarity, that the leadership was being transferred. And here, the death and replacement of Moses 
was a refining event for the Israelites because it reminded them that the Lord deals with sin at every level. Not even Moses was exempt from sinning or from being judged because of sin. But this replacement showed them again the Lord's faithfulness and compassion as he raised a faithful man as Joshua to replace Moses to lead Israel. Now, we are not the nation of Israel, of course. We are part of the church that is the body of Christ that was born by the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 and will be taken to glory in the rapture before the future seven-year tribulation. But here's an application of this truth for us that matches 1 Corinthians 3, 7 and 4, 2. Listen. If the Lord wants to use a ministry or a local church to continue building His church generation after generation while He comes back for His church in the rapture, He will, repra- he will replace faithful servants with other faithful servants. Our individual responsibility is to be faithful wherever He places us. This is so encouraging. It is encouraging because it is Christ who is the head of the church. It is Christ who builds his church. It is Christ who feeds and protects his church and the existence of his church. His body depends on Christ, not on us. So in everything, Christ is preeminent. Now look at chapters 28 and 29. Here's number three in our little list. Memories of worship. Memories of worship. We find this in chapters 28 and 29. In chapters 28 and 29, God again gave the Israelites instructions about offerings. He had already given them instructions, you remember, in Exodus and Leviticus. But here, he repeated them and added extra instructions. Why? Why did the Lord do this? Well, Apparently, in order that this second generation of Israelites of the Exodus would be ready to worship the Lord there in the desert and when they enter the land. Part of this refinement that we see throughout the book of Numbers included knowing how to worship the Lord acceptably. How the Lord would be pleased with the worship they offered. And here in Numbers chapters 28 and 29, we see that the Lord commanded the Israelites to offer sacrifices daily and more on the first day of the week, the first day of each month, and also on the annual festivals. This repetition shows that the sacrifices could not take away sin. It showed them their sin, as Phil so clearly reminded us in Leviticus. And as we see in Hebrews 10, 11, all these repetition of sacrifices showed that all these sacrifices could not take away sin. And in contrast to this, the Lord's sacrifice was offered only once. And that was enough to take away sin. This shows the perfection of our Lord's sacrifice. But notice in Numbers 28, one, one more comment here before we leave this section. Numbers 28, 1. Look at verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, verse 2. Command the sons of Israel and say to them. Listen to this. 
you shall be careful to bring near my offering, my food for my offerings by fire, of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed time. Notice that the Lord decided how he was to be worshipped, when they were to bring his offerings, what they were to bring as an offering, and how those offerings were to be presented, and how often those offerings were to be brought to the Lord. In other words, the Lord determined every detail of how they were to worship him. He didn't tell them, well, as long as you're sincere, that's fine. Whatever you think of sacrificing to me, go ahead. Whenever you want, whatever is convenient for you, whatever pleases you, that's their priority, that you're pleased, not me. If you see a half-dead rat, you can offer it to me. It's convenient as long as you do something. No. No. This is a great truth that we find repeated throughout Scripture. It is always this way. He is the King of glory. He decides how he wants to be worshipped, who worships him, our responsibilities to submit by his grace to his worship manual, which is the Scriptures. And what we see in this brief verse of Numbers 28-2 is practically a truth, again, that is repeated throughout Scripture, and it is this. Listen, worship is always about Him, never about us. This is how our life should be. We study the Scriptures to know Him, to know how He wants us to express our worship all the time, in public, in private. Such an important truth. There's so much more that we could say about this. I mean, when we, when we fail at this point, when we start focusing on us, and again, Phil touched on this too in Leviticus, that's the point at which we sin and we get in trouble because we start thinking that life is about us. No, it's all about the Lord. And here's number four. And by the way, before we get into number four, we just heard that tonight in the baptisms. Uh, in the testimonies of baptism. We hear it every Sunday night in the testimonies of baptism. How the Lord, as First Thessalonians 1 says, delivered us from worshiping idols, including us, to serve the living and true God. That's conversion. We are the ones who worship the Lord. Truly, Philippians 3 says. Here's number four. Memories of promise. Memories of promise. Look at chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. At the end of chapter 29, the Lord mentions sacrifices in connection to vows. And now, in chapter 30, He gave them instructions regarding vows. Look at Numbers 32. Look at the key verse. This is the key verse we could say that summarizes the chapter. Numbers 32. If a man makes a vow or a promise to Yahweh, or swears an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Notice that making a promise to Yahweh was voluntary. But once the promise was made, it was mandatory to fulfill it. You remember that in Matthew 5.37, there in the Sermon of the Mount, our Lord in Matthew 5.37 applied this principle to us 
with those famous words. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, tell the truth always. Speak as if you were under oath to God. That's what it means in Matthew 5.37. Always telling the truth. Always. So in Numbers 30, the Lord refined Israel by commanding them to vow in integrity. Look at chapter 31. Number 5 in our list. Here we find in Numbers 31, memories of influence. Memories of influence. Here the Lord, in Numbers chapter 31, judged the Midianites for having contributed to Israel's sin in Numbers 25. You remember that in Numbers 25, 17, we find summarized the Lord's command to Israel to attack and kill the Midianites. And here in Numbers chapter 31, we see the details of the attack. Look at verse 1, Numbers 31, 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, verse 2, Take full vengeance for the sons of Israel on the Midianites. In other words, the Lord was going to judge the Midianites for having corrupted Israel in Numbers chapter 25. Remember that? In Numbers 25, we saw how Balaam advised Balak to send Midianite women to corrupt the Israelite men. And now, in Numbers 31, the Midianites were going to pay for their sin. And this vengeance was in charge of Moses. And this would be Moses' last mission. Look at verse 2 again. Numbers 31, 2. Starting again on verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Take full vengeance for the sons of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you will be gathered to your people. There's a great truth here. This means that after dying, Moses would continue to live along with those believers who had died before him. In fact, centuries later, you remember that Moses appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, speaking with Elijah and the Lord in Matthew 17, 3. So here in verse 2, we see that once Moses finished with this last mission that the Lord gave him, he would die. And this is a wonderful truth for a believer. Listen. You will live as a Christian until God finishes doing with you what he has planned for you. This is actually true of every person, believer or non-believer. But in the case of a believer, when he's done with you, when God finishes doing with you what he has planned for you in eternity past, when he's done as a Christian, he will take you to heaven. He will in the words of verse 2, so to speak, Afterward, you will be gathered to your people, to the other believers who are already in glory. This is wonderful. Now, go down to verse 7. Here is where Operation Midianite starts. Remember, the Lord is going to use Moses and Israel to take care of the Midianites, kill them as a judgment. Verse 7, so they made war against Midian just as Yahweh had commanded Moses, and they killed every male. Verse 8, they killed the kings of Midian, along with the rest of their slain. Evi, and Rechem, and Sur, and Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, and listen to this, 
they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. Why single out Balaam? Probably to show God's judgment against this false prophet. Why did the Lord judge him? Look down at verse 16. Look down at verse 16, Numbers 31, 16. This is what the Lord told Israel through Moses. Behold, these, referring to the Midianite women, these caused the sons of Israel through the word of Balaam to act unfaithfully against Yahweh in the matter of Peor. So the plague was among the congregation of Yahweh. Verse 17, so now kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known man intimately. But verse 18, all the girls who have not known man intimately, spare for yourselves. Now, at a glance, at an initial glance, at a first reading, this might seem too severe for us. But remember, this was a judgment. This was to avoid that the Midianites would once again be a sinful influence on Israel. And remember, it was the Midianite women who contributed to the Israelite men committing sins of idolatry and fornication. And under the law, Exodus chapter 20, adultery and idolatry were punishable by death. Here's an important application for us of this truth. Remember that in Matthew 18, 6 to 9, our Lord warns us against causing a believer to sin. In other words, if you influence or contribute or help a believer to sin, you expose yourself to the Lord's judgment. If you tempt a Christian to sin by your example or by asking him or her to sin, you expose yourself to the Lord's judgment. Doing this is so serious that according to Matthew 18, you have to take drastic measures in your life in order to avoid this. So here in chapter 31, the Lord refined Israel by using Israel to judge the Midianites because they corrupted Israel. Go to chapter 32. Here's number six in our list of seven memories of Israel that help us to cultivate refining memories. Here in chapter 32, the Lord refined Israel by explaining to the two and a half tribes a very important truth. Listen, God's judgment against sin is unstoppable. That's the principle here. The Lord's judgment against sin is unstoppable. It is unavoidable. Look at it. Numbers 32, 1. In verse 1, Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. This could have been ox, donkeys, camels, sheep, and goats, as someone said. Verse 1 continues, And they saw the land of Jazer, at about 10 miles northwest of what today is Jordan's capital, and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock. Here the tribes of Reuben and Gad wanted to live in this region because they had a lot of cattle. Since they thought that it was an ideal place for their cattle, they asked Moses if they could stay there. And go down to verse 33. We find an extra half-tribe here. Numbers 32, 33. 
So Moses gave to them, to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Joseph's son Manasseh, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites and the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, the land with its cities, with their territories, the cities of the surrounding land. The Lord gave them permission through Moses, but he asked the men who could fight from those tribes to support the rest of the tribes so that the other tribes could take possession of the rest of the land on the other side of the Jordan. And after that, they could return to this land that they already had. But if they would not fight to support the other tribes, they would sin and God would judge them. And he gave them this warning in verse 23. And here in Numbers 32, 23, you have one of the best known phrases from the book of Numbers. Look at it. Numbers 32, 23. Moses warned these two and a half tribes. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against Yahweh. And here it is. Be sure your sin will find you out. Here sin is presented as if it was a person from whom you cannot hide. In other words, verse 23, the phrase your sin will find you out means that it was impossible to avoid God's judgment if they sinned. If they sinned, God would judge them. If they did not fulfill what they had promised here, the Lord would judge them. And they knew that here Moses was not exaggerating. Because here in Numbers 32, verses 11 to 14, Moses had already reminded them how the Lord had judged their unbelieving parents in the last 40 years. Did these tribes keep their promise? Yes. How do we know? Joshua says it. In Joshua 4, 12 and 13 and 22, 1 to 9. Their sin did not find them out. Why? Because they obey the Lord. And in this way, we can say that this warning refined them. This is a very important principle. The Lord always judges sin. The, Lord, the Lord's judgment against sin is inevitable. The Lord's judgment against sin is impossible to avoid. Since we are sinners, our sin will always Find us out. If we are in Christ, our sin has found Christ. That is, the Father has punished our sin in Christ. This is why heaven is secure for us as Christians. And when we sin, we expose ourselves to the Lord's discipline. But if you are not in Christ, if you reject the Lord's loving offer of forgiveness in Christ... If you refuse to repent of your sin, if you do not want to believe in Christ, if the Lord takes your life in that condition of rejection, your sin will find you out. That is, the Lord will judge you exactly as you deserve for your sin by casting you in eternal torment in hell. Here's the final one. In chapters 33 to 36, last of the seven memories in our list, memories of place. Memories of place, 
We see this in chapters 33 to 36. This is the last part of the book of Numbers from the last part of chapter 33 to chapters 34, 35, and 36. The Lord gave them several instructions related to their life in the promised land. At the end of Numbers 33, he commanded them to destroy everything they found in the land that had to do with idols. If they didn't obey, the Lord would judge them. Then in chapter 34, he told them how to establish the boundaries of the land and who was responsible to do this and listen to this by explaining to them in detail in chapter 34 where the borders of the promised land should be. The Lord demonstrated that it was a physical, literal land, not something spiritual, not something that was in heaven. But because of their disobedience, Israel never occupied the land as described here. But Israel, as a nation, will occupy it, and even in a larger territory, according to Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel 47. And that will be in the future. After the rapture of the church, after the future seven-year tribulation, when the Lord comes in His second coming and saves Israel and establishes His millennial kingdom, it will be in the millennial kingdom here on earth that Israel will occupy the land just as the Lord promised them. In chapter 35, he gave them instructions about the cities for the Levites and for the cities of refuge. And in chapter 36, he concluded with instructions for the inheritance of married daughters. Again, showing compassion to women. But all of these instructions for living in the land, from chapter 33 to 34, 35, and 36, were based in one sense on the beginning of chapter 33. At the beginning of chapter 33, the Lord summarized the 40-year trip from Egypt to where, they, to where they were here by the Jordan. Now, why would the Lord remind them at the beginning of chapter 33 of the different places they had camped on during the 40-year trip? To remind them of what happened in those places. The memories of what the Lord did in those places would have refined them by encouraging them to obey the final commandments in Numbers. I mean, this is even in, like, like us. When we used to live in Mexico City as a family, I used to tell my wife and my kids, have I told you that when I was 16, this and this happened right here? Have I told you this is the school I went to? And you know, after a few months or years... Have I told you? Yes, that. Thank you very much. We know what happened right there in that place when you were 15.5 months old. 15 and a half years old. Now, look at Numbers 33.8. Look at a few verses of chapter 33 as we close our study of Numbers. Numbers 33.8. They journeyed from before Hahiroth and passed through the midst of the sea. This reminded them when they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, because the Lord opened the sea in Exodus 14. Go down to verse 15. Numbers 33, 15. They journeyed from Rephidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. Sinai? This was a very important place for them. Why? What happened at Sinai? You remember, 
They had seen Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19, on fire, trembling with smoke and thunder and lightning. When the Lord gave them the law in Exodus chapters 19 to 24, here at Sinai, the Lord established the old covenant with them. Here they sinned with a golden calf. Sinai was the place. It was the place where the Lord renewed the old covenant with them too. Here at Sinai, they built a tabernacle in Exodus. This is the same place where they offer the first sacrifices of Leviticus, where the Lord killed Nadab and Abihu for offering strange fire in Leviticus 10. And where in Numbers 9, they celebrated the Passover for the first time outside of Egypt. How could they forget Sinai? They were there for almost a year. Now go down to verse 36. Look at Numbers 33, 36. They journeyed from Ezion, Gever, and camped in the wilderness of Sin. That is Kadesh. Kadesh would have been unforgettable for these Israelites. Not for the reason that the song says unforgettable. These would have been unforgettable. Why would these have been unforgettable for these Israelites who heard numbers for the first time? Because it was there at Kadesh where their parents did not believe the Lord. Remember in Numbers chapters 30, 13 and 14 where Moses and Aaron sinned and Miriam died in Numbers chapter 20. And the Lord judged them by killing all of that first generation over the course of 40 years. So again, it's just as in our case, when someone mentions a place, you memories flood your mind. Oh yeah, that place. Yeah, I was this age, this happened. It was the same for them. The Lord was reminded them of places where specific events took place. One more, verse 48, Numbers 33, 48. They journeyed from the mountains of Abarim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. How could they forget the fields of Moab? Remember, with Balaam and the Moabites and 24,000 Israelites dead because the Lord killed them because of their sin. In fact, the last verse of Numbers, Numbers 36, 13, shows, as we explained last week, that they stayed in that place when the Lord closed the book of Numbers. And really, this was a place where they were camped when the Lord gave Deuteronomy. All these reminders should have motivated them to obey these final commands in Numbers that had to do with their life in the land. The 40 years in the desert, summarized in the book of Numbers, summarized really in Numbers chapter 33, brings us to what Abner has explained as the theology of the desert. What is the theology of the desert? What did the Lord do in the desert with different people? He was, just as we see in the book of Numbers, testing, refining, preparing them. Where do we see this? You remember in Exodus, for example, the Lord was testing, preparing, refining Moses in the desert before calling Moses to lead out Israel from Egypt. As we move on in the book of Exodus and get in the book of Numbers, the Lord was also testing, preparing, 
refining, as we've seen throughout the book of Numbers, Israel in the desert before they could enter the land. In 1 Samuel, another example, the Lord was testing, refining, preparing David in the desert for years when Saul was pursuing David to kill him before David took the throne. But you remember what's common in Moses, Israel, and David in the desert. Moses, Israel, and David revealed their imperfections, their sin in the desert. But in the Gospels, we see someone who revealed his perfections in the desert. When was tempted, when he was tempted by Satan, our Lord Jesus Christ was approved in the desert as he demonstrated his perfections when Satan tempted him in the desert. And in this wonderful book of Numbers, we have seen many perfections of Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh, the Holy One, the unchanging One, the Sovereign Almighty, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us a taste of His glory, miracle after miracle here in Numbers, by feeding multitudes with quail in the desert, by giving them water from a rock, by bringing judgment to multitudes through sickness, death, by opening the ground, consuming with fire. And we have also seen His infinite power over His creation in the miracles of causing a plant to produce almonds in a matter of hours, in appearing to a donkey, and even giving, giving to a donkey the ability to see the Lord talk, reason, and rebuke a false prophet. And at the same time, here in the book of Numbers, He has shown His all-sufficient grace by doing miracles to provide physical healing and sustenance through the bronze serpent and manna and physical cleansing through the ashes of a burnt animal, which ultimately point to our Lord's perfect life and death on the cross, which is the only way in which He provides for us by repentant faith alone, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and deliverance from a life of spiritual death, dead works, and eternal death in hell, so that we can now live to serve Him here and for all eternity. And don't forget, as the star of Jacob, the one who will hold the scepter in Israel, He will reign as King of kings here on earth in the future, after he comes back to rule in his millennial kingdom. And we will be there with him, serving him. We studied all of this in the book of Numbers. Remember, remember his faithfulness and judgment in the past to be faithful to him in the present. Are you struggling with a lack of contentment and lack of gratitude because of your circumstances? Remember Israel in the desert, Numbers chapter 11. Are you struggling with doubts about His power to provide what you need to obey Him at every moment? Remember the manna, Numbers 21. Are you looking at your life as the Lord says in His Word, or are you say in your mind? Remember the 12 spies, Numbers 14. 
Are you deliberately tolerating sin in your life? Remember Korah, number 16. Are you feeling overwhelmed by your daily responsibilities, thinking that you are alone and without the ability to face a situation? Remember the quail, Numbers 11. Are you worried about someone who is slandering you, attacking you, who wants to destroy you? Remember Moses, Numbers 12. Are you thinking that the Lord will treat you in a different way because you think you're special because you serve in a given ministry? Remember Kaddish, Numbers 20. Are you thinking that you have to do something to earn your salvation? Remember the bronze serpent, Numbers 21. If you haven't repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, if you do not know his loving forgiveness, tonight is the time. Don't be like those unbelieving, rebellious Israelites who were judged by the Lord because of their sin. This could be the last opportunity you have to repent and believe before he takes your life. And if you die without Christ, you will not be able to reverse the reality of receiving the full punishment for your sin in eternal hell. If you truly come to him in repentant faith, he will forgive you because of what he has done in his perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. After we pray, if you have any spiritual need that we can help you with, please come to the prayer room to your left behind the exit doors. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you because you truly show your glory in your word. Thank you for your spirit who uses your word to transform us from one level of glory to the next level of glory. Thank you for the book of Numbers. Incredible to think that it is just one of 66 books, as it is the case with every page, every word, every letter of your perfect word. It is powerful. It is living and active. We bless you for it. Thank you for this gift, for this privilege, for the work of your Spirit in our lives who causes us to desire it, understand it, love it, praise you for it, proclaim it, apply it. We pray that your Spirit will give us understanding, Lord. Use your word tonight in every one of our lives. You know that we still live in Romans 7 dealing with sin on a daily basis, being tempted, sinning, confessing, repenting. Help us, Lord. You know that our deepest desire is to express our love to you in worship by obeying your word. We pray that you will give us wisdom, Lord, to understand the truths that we have studied tonight in order to apply them to worship you so that you may be pleased. And if there's anyone who doesn't know you, that your spirit will draw them to you for your glory. Amen.